uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and the name of the sermon is, What Does It Mean to Be Spiritual? What Does It Mean to Be Spiritual? And we need just a little bit of context here. Uh, last week, we talked about Communion 101. And we talked mainly about the fact that we're a family. And then when we take communion together, we're to be together people. We're to love one another. We're not to take offense and, and hold grudges and all of that. And we come to communion to see that life's not about us. It's about the cross. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last verse, I think it's verse 34 of that sermon uh, in chapter 11, we have this sentence, and this is how I ended last week, the sentence reads uh, from the Apostle Paul, and when I come, he's going to be, he's just told them a lot of things, especially in the first 11 chapters, and he says, and when I come back to Corinth again, I will give further directions. And then right after that, I quoted Alistair Begg, where he said, we are always better together than we could ever be on our own. And that's almost a theme of my preaching, that we are to be a together people. And then I end it with these words, we are a body, a family, linked together because of the cross. So let's show the world how much we truly love one another, even when some of us fail. That is when the others come alongside and pick us up again so that we can return the favor again and again and again. So Paul says, I've got some other things to say that I'll say when I go there. But in the meantime, verse 1, he says, now about the gifts. One Greek scholar says, uh, it really should read this way, but now, I have some things to say when I come to see you, but now about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I like to think of the gifts of the Spirit as grace gifts. We're saved by grace. We don't deserve it. And the spiritual gifts, when we talk about them, are grace gifts. None of us deserve them. And they're not about us, really. They're about the whole body of Christ and about God's power working within us. So he says here now about the gifts, the grace gifts of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians. I do not want you to be uninformed. So in other words, he's saying, this is really important that you understand all this. Or another way of saying it that I would have translated, if I were translating it and paraphrasing a bit, I would have written part of it this way, now about the matters of the Spirit. You see, in the church in Corinth, there was a particular problem with the gift of tongues, not the legitimacy of the gift, but the misuse of the gift. And it's important that we understand that or we will interpret these next three chapters wrongly. There were questions about the spirituality of certain Christians exercising the gift of tongues and prophecy. Now, two times ago, we talked about prophecy in the head-covering sermon, uh, women prophesying. So Paul is writing or speaking out to his, his secretary here, is writing to clear up the misuse of these necessary spiritual gifts. 
Now, listen, we started out about gifts, and maybe you didn't even realize it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul starts out the letter saying, Therefore, Corinthians, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus to be revealed, talking about the return of Christ. And I can say to all of us today that we don't lack any spiritual gifts as we eagerly wait for the Lord to return. Every day is a gift, and when you wake up, uh, that's a gift. You've got another day, and we should be living it for the Lord as spiritual men and women, and God has gifted us exactly as we need to be by the Holy Spirit for us to be able to be useful that day, this particular day. So Paul is stating emphatically, emphatically, Spiritual manifestations do not prove that people are spiritual. Now look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, he's talking to the Corinthians, the Romans have sort of taken over that area, and their religions, and their cults. So you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, we've already talked a lot about this. He's referring to the, you remember, the meat that's sacrificed to idols, and he made it clear that idols are mute. They're nothing. They're nothing. But behind the idols is the demonic, and therefore they need to stay away from that, and a lot of them were saved out of that kind of cultish environment. So they were to recognize that there was more than one flavor of spirituality. In the pagan temples, there was much tongue speaking that might surprise some of you. It was common for the people to experience an uncontrollable ecstatic state in which they uttered things that no one could understand. It was totally unintelligible. And let me just say to you, and you'll understand it in a moment, tongues is never unintelligible. None of the gifts are. Uh, You will soon see that Paul's key word regarding spiritual gifts in the church was intelligibility. You need that on the frontal part of your lobe here in the brain. The key word here for Paul, and you need to think about it all the way through what we're going to do in chapters 12, 13, and 14, is intelligibility. In other words, everything that happens when believers gather together was to be understood, even by unbelievers who might be coming among us, in contrast to what went on in the pagan temples. Now look at verse 3 now. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. He's, he's referring to what some of the things they may have heard in some of these pagan cults where they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And uh, certainly no Christian would say something like that. So if somebody in the church should say anything even remotely like that, uh, the Spirit of God is not the one behind that. And then, though, this is more important for us, no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say it. You can say any words you want, but you can't say it. Actually, uh, the way it should be, the Lord is Jesus. No one can say and mean it, and it's not real, no, uh, except by the Spirit. The Lord is Jesus. 
It's an affirmation, a belief in the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the incarnation, Mary and Joseph and all of those things that went on in what we call Christmas, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And that can only be said, believed, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, most all of us here have heard the term filled with the Spirit. Has anybody ever asked you, are you filled with the Spirit? I've been asked that. And I always say the same thing, absolutely, for sure. As far as I'm able to be, I'm filled with the Spirit. Uh, you see, the problem with the phrase is there's, it often lacks an understanding of what that really means. I don't like the word filled, actually. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Do not get drunk on wine. In other words, don't drink so much wine, any kind of alcoholic beverage, that you lose control of your life completely. That's the picture. And it says it leads to, all, to debauchery, all kinds of evil. Instead, be filled with, but I prefer, instead of being controlled by drunkenness, therefore losing control, be controlled with the Spirit of God, therefore gaining control, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we're filled with the Spirit, when we're controlled by the Spirit, then we, we are able to do things that we couldn't have done otherwise. Now, in the culture of the New Testament, a person saying the Lord is Jesus is denying that Caesar is Lord and that uh, they or I will not bow down to the world's ways. We've forsaken the world, but instead we'll do all I can to advance the kingdom of God on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what spiritual gifts are all about. Equipping the church to advance the kingdom in the world. So question, can you see that the issue of spiritual gifts is far more than whether I speak in tongues or not or whether I believe gifts are for today or not. So Paul is going to talk about it, but only briefly. He's going to give us a list of gifts. And uh, he doesn't need to explain anything to the Corinthians, but we're going to have to have some of it explained to us. So verse 4, Paul says there are different kinds of of gifts. That's the word in the Greek language charismata, where we get our word charismatic from. So there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, distributes them. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, service, that's a word for deacon, deacon, uh, it's a service, meaning we're serving others. So there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus. There are different kinds of working. That's a word that sounds like the word for energy in English. But in all of them, these workings, and in everyone, it is the same God, that's the Father, at work. Now, this is a, a tremendous, uh, it's written about hugely, uh, picture of the Trinity. We have a Trinitarian view of how spirituality works in the church. Different gifts, one Holy Spirit. Different service, one Lord Jesus. Different workings, one God, our Father. Now, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is important and very necessary today as God works in our lives 
as we are committed to Jesus as Lord. Now look at verse 7. This is really important. Now to each one, to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now I believe this is a crucial verse to keep in mind when we're trying to understand spiritual gifts. This verse is often used to say that each individual Christian has a specific spiritual gift, but clearly it does not say that. What it does say is that each Christian has the Spirit working in us, and He is manifesting Himself or expressing Himself through us, and here it is again, for the common good. That clears up a lot of problems if we understand that. However beneficial a manifestation of the Spirit or a gift is to each of us, we must always think in community. The gifts, you should write this down, are not for personal glory, but for the common good. Now, gifts are not given to me for my own private use, but for use within the body of Christ, the church. And gifts must create unity and encourage other Christians in their lives. So now Paul gives us a partial list of gifts, clearly chosen because of the specific problems within the Corinthian church. There are other gifts listed in the New Testament in addition to what we see in 1 Corinthians, but what we now learn will give us all we need to know so as to exercise our gifts. Here's my favorite definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives to help us serve others in the body of Christ, which is the church. This is a great thing to think about. It. Spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives to help us serve others in the body of Christ in the church. And so if you don't know the people in the church, if you don't have relationships in the church, if you're not serving in the church, it's impossible to really manifest that gift. I particularly like how one preacher labels all of us as spiritual snowflakes. When it snows out, the millions of little snowflakes come down. I'm told it's like fingerprints that everyone is different. And this one preacher says that when, uh, when you, regarding spiritual gifts, we're all spiritual snowflakes. Ultimately, we individually, individually are all spiritual snowflakes, gifts in the body of Christ. And, uh, and we are all important, and we're all necessary, and we'll see that later in the chapter. In Bible study, context is important. But spiritual gifts are most often discussed apart from all the other things Paul has spoken in the first 11 chapters of this letter, plus chapter 12, 13, and 14. Paul was not writing a systemized gift list. He was pointing out what real spirituality looks like. The list here reflects the problems in the Corinthian church that we have already studied in the preceding 11 chapters and will be fleshed out in detail in chapter 12, 13, and 14. You cannot separate those three chapters. That's why we'll do three or four sermons on them uh, in the next weeks. 
without knowing all three of them and putting them together, will always make a mistake about spiritual gifts. So here is Paul's partial list of gifts as it concerns those in the church in Corinth. Now, he just wrote this down and uh, without any comment, and they all knew when it was read to them through the scrolls getting to Corinth exactly what Paul was talking about. But we'll have to have a little more instruction than that. Verse 8. To one, Paul writes here, says, to one is given through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the message, that's the word logos, it means word, of wisdom. And if you've been around Christianity for a long time or uh, a more charismatic group, you hear about the word of wisdom, the word of wisdom. Uh, it, the word of wisdom, I can two things that I've written here. It, uh, it's a message, the word of wisdom, is a message or an utterance full of wisdom. You say, well, that's kind of obvious. It is, yes, of course. It's an utterance characterized by wisdom. Well, how does that work? Well, hopefully that's what I'm doing right now. We've already talked about the Corinthian view of wisdom. This gift is the ability to express the message of God's wisdom regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put this on the screen rather than have you turn to it. Uh, I've put some verses together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, 7, 8, 10, and 12. And you'll see it all on the screen. And we've already studied all this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, that's pretty contemporary, <laughs> if you really think about it. Verse 7, no, we declare God's wisdom. What is God's wisdom? It's a mystery that has been hidden in the Old Testament, and that God destined for our glory before time began. And none of the rulers of this age understood it. See, a mystery in the Bible, and the New Testament here, isn't an Agatha Christie mystery. It's a mystery uh, of it's something that's now been revealed, now that we understand. It's something from especially the Old Testament that we now understand about the crucifixion, about the, all of the things that are happening now in these latter days. And so he says in verse 8, none of the rulers of this world age, of this age, understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, I've, every time I read that and even think about it, I think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees in charge, and Jesus comes and heals, raises from the dead, Lazarus, who's been, and he's been dead for days, and what do they do when they hear about it? <gasps> we can't have this. We got to get rid of this guy. They didn't understand. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us, Christian, by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, no, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. When you even think of the word intelligibility, uh, in this case, it's saying, this is what our life is all about. This is why we woke up this morning. This is why God has saved us. Paul is not attempting to define a list of spiritual gifts, but he is demonstrating the diversity of the gifts the Holy Spirit manifests through us to maintain the unity 
of the body of Christ, the church. This wisdom is certainly an important gift that we should all desire. The Sunday school teacher needs the gift of wisdom to be able to communicate properly to the children that he or she is responsible to teach. Wisdom is needed to know what to say during various counseling opportunities or even interactions between us when we gather together and especially before and after the gathering uh, where uh, wisdom can be given when somebody shares a problem or a trouble or a need. I always pray and ask God for wisdom before any time of counseling, and I claim his promise to give it as I ask. Jesus' half-brother James, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There are some prayers you can pray that will always be answered if you're really praying them and you mean it. And so if you're going to be in a counseling situation with someone, you ask God for wisdom, and it's remarkable uh, what things will come up into your mind as you're helping whoever you're counseling. The gift of wisdom is manifested through humility with the knowledge that without God's grace, we really have nothing to author to offer without God's grace gift, undeserved gift, undeserved salvation, we need that. We have nothing to offer otherwise. Now, still verse 8, to another, remember Paul's just listing these, to another the message, the word, message, of knowledge, the word of knowledge. I've been in, I've been in church environments where, oh, I have a word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Now, the knowledge Paul is talking about here is the knowledge of God's Word. The word is gnosis, and there's all kinds of problems with this. We've already studied them in the first 11 chapters. So the knowledge Paul is talking about here is the knowledge of God's Word as it is taught by someone with the gift of teaching. Now, I'm teaching a passage that I've taught before but God has helped me to apply it in our situation right now rather than just repeat an old sermon. And then verse 9, to another, one, to another, to another, to another, verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Everyone needs the gift of faith, saving faith, to receive Christ as Savior for salvation or we would not be able to be saved. It's a gift. The proof text most of you have memorized over time, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace, undeserved favor, you have been saved through, what's the next word? Faith. And this is not from yourself, faith. It's talking about faith. The faith is a gift of God, not by works, not because you cleaned up your life and you decided to follow Jesus so that no one can boast. It's, it's one of those incredible mysteries of the sovereignty of God. You don't try to be logical about it or you'll always get mixed up. It's an incredible mystery. God saved me. I chose Christ because he had given me the faith to be able to do that. How does that work? I don't really fully know except that I know that he saved me. I know that I'm saved and I know I know him. And I've been given that faith. It's a gift from God. 
Nevertheless, that's not what Paul is referring to here. Here, Paul is talking about mountain-moving faith, as we'll see in chapter 13. Uh, faith to undergo hardships, even martyrdom, and that, especially in that time, but it's happening all over the world today. Faith to believe God for something beyond our ability. That kind of faith. And then still in verse 9, to another in his list, gifts of healing by that one spirit. Now these gifts, gifts of healing, were very apparent in Paul's ministry. But healing is not a definitive gift. What I mean is, Paul was not able to heal everyone he prayed for. For he was not even able to receive personal healing, but instead learned to live with his physical defect, his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. He was told, he asked three times, please take it away. And he was told by God, grace is sufficient for you. It was there to humble him. That's why it was there. And when anyone tells me that we should be able to heal everyone who asks for healing, I always ask them about Trophimus. But so far, and I've been asked this often, no one who has challenged me seems to know Trophimus. So let me introduce you to him. After a riot in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, Paul sets out for Macedonia. Traveling with him were Sopitar, Aristarchus, and Secundus, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, that was his disciple, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. He was a Gentile. And later in Acts 21, Paul is arrested because some of the Jews thought that Paul had brought his friend, Trophimus, into an area of the temple that was forbidden to Gentiles. So Paul and Trophimus had a history of traveling together, and they were good friends. But when we read in, then we read in a letter that Paul wrote to his young disciple Timothy near the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4.19. Timothy, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Ananias, whatever it says. <laughs> Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Really? Well, didn't Paul have a gift of healing? He sure did. He, he even raised the dead. Then why didn't he heal Trophimus? Because the gift of healing is not an absolute ability to heal everyone all the time. That's why some of the faith healers we see on TV get around this by saying that when someone doesn't get healed, it's because they did not have enough faith. What a cruel way to guilt trip someone. I, I've prayed for some very sick people over the years who have been healed supernaturally, and it's always an incredible thrill. God still heals today, of course. But the phrase is not gift of healing. It's plural. Gifts of healings. That's literally what it says. Gifts of healings. I often pray for the sick and ask God to give me a gift of healing for whatever it is that's wrong with that person. We know that God is the healer, but sometimes he directs us to a doctor who has extraordinary skill to use his gifts to heal people. That is no less an answer to prayer for healing. So I would encourage all of us to pray for those who need healing. It isn't a gift just for apostles or just for elders or any other particular persons. Uh, we all can ask for such a gift and pray for our friends and those we meet who are sick. I've heard some incredible stories 
of Christians asking a neighbor or, or somebody they work with, do you mind if I pray for you and ask God to heal you? And I've heard some incredible stories where God has actually answered that, and that's brought interest for the person to find out more about Jesus Christ. So we should be praying for those who are ill, and we, do, we have a very active prayer ministry online to pray for people in our church. And if you're not part of that, you should be, because uh, there's some people that have some real difficult problems in our church from the uh, physical sick idea, and they need to be prayed for. Now, there is no idea in the text that this is a once-only given gift. Uh, in other words, it's, it's not that God gives somebody a, a, the ability to heal everybody, and now we have a healing ministry. No. But in fact, this is a gift that anyone, anyone could receive at any given time when it is needed. And then remember, Paul's just making a list, verse, still verse 10, to another miraculous powers. Oh, we like that one. Uh, literally, the text reads, acts of power. It comes from the word we get our word dynamite from. And I always like to say uh, dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. But the trouble with it is the dynamite just blows up and that's it. That's not the idea. It's more like a generator. And so uh, we could translate the word uh, miracles here. We could just say to another miracles. That's the idea. A gift to do miracles. Well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, we see this throughout the Bible. Paul uses the Old Testament all the time because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And uh, so he'd probably say, well, look at the crossing of the Red Sea. That was an incredible miracle. Look at the crossing of the Jordan River. What an awesome miracle. Look at Moses and Pharaoh and all that happened and the Passover. What an unbelievable miracles. Look at Jesus healing a blind man who was blind from birth, raising the dead, all of these miracles. So uh, it's a, a gift that, can, that we can have from time to time that will do something quite miraculous. In the book of Acts, miracles are performed both by apostles and those who are not apostles. And if you read missionary biographies, you'll often read of this gift. Um, a little aside here. In the 1980s, there was a huge movement called the Signs and Wonders Movement. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, in that movement, the idea was that there needs to be the miraculous following the gospel or people won't believe. That was the idea. And they used all, they misused, I believe, all kinds of incidences in the New Testament. Look at that. There was a miracle and these people got saved. Well, they didn't get saved because of the miracles. Why did Jesus do miracles? To prove that he was who the Old Testament said he was. He didn't do miracles so that if, you know, if I could just do a miracle, all of a sudden all kinds of people will get saved. That's not going to happen. They wouldn't, especially a skeptic. When I was, a, when I was a, an atheist, people would talk about miracles to me. I'd just laugh, say they didn't know what they're talking about. We had a young woman in our church of Arabic uh, descent years ago. I've tried to remember her name this week, and I can't. But she was here for quite a while, and uh, she had a disease that apparently is almost only uh, a people that have an, that kind of descent, ancestry line. And it was an incurable disease. And she had been to a hospital in Boston, and uh, 
they had even written articles about her and this disease, this incurable disease. And uh, uh, it was eventually, it's not, it wasn't cancer, but you, if you think of cancer, like somebody has pancreatic cancer, they're probably going to die in a few years, uh, and that kind of thing. But there was no known cure for this disease. But they followed her closely because they were trying to find a cure. And so she was one of the main subjects. It was very, very rare disease. And so we had the elders come together. We anointed her with oil. And we prayed in a, in a service just like this for her. And then she went back to the doctors. And then she came back to us. And, uh, and she, she was <laughs> exuberant is the word. Because they checked her out and the disease was completely gone. They even wrote an academic paper about it because it had never happened before. And we, we gave God the credit. But there was a doctor friend of mine, a good friend of mine, a surgeon who I'd known for a long time. And when he heard what we did, he was really upset at me. He was a Christian, but he was upset at me. What are you upset at? Oh, spontaneous things like this happen all the time. It's nothing to do with God. Well, my goodness. You see, miracles don't save people. Even saved people can deny miracles. Uh, signs, uh, the, the signs and wonders movement basically doesn't, I hope it doesn't exist much anymore. Uh, I mean, we have had visiting missionaries speak to us about miraculous things God has done in answer to prayer in the mission field, and that's awesome to see that happen. And from time to time, God will do miracles in our lives. And almost all of us here that have been Christians for any amount of time can name some things I certainly could spend some time on it, uh, that I consider total miracles of God that happened in our life at just the right time so that something else uh, could go on. Well, we need to go on. Verse 10, still. And to another prophecy. Prophecy. Now, we'll talk about this gift in much detail when we come to chapter 14. But in the second chapter of Acts, we see that this is a gift that can be given to men or women. And we will see how Paul suggested it be exercised in the church in chapter 14. But in the meantime, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, this is Peter's first sermon of the early church. In the last days, it's a quote, he's quoting from the book of Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons, and daughters, male and female, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old pastors will dream dreams. Verse 10, again. Let's go back to the next one. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Now, this is really important. It's the ability to test a prophetic message. And again, chapter 14, wait for it. We'll spend a lot of time on this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 reads this way. Do not quench the spirit and do not treat prophecies with contempt. So if somebody thinks, well, I wonder if prophecy still exists. Do not teach, treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Well, now we'll go on to the really controversial one, verse 10 still, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, or it could be translated languages, but tongues. And to, to still another, this is put together for a reason, and to still another, the interpretation 
of tongues. Remember the word intelligibility? In Acts chapter 2, people were speaking out and others were saying, we can hear what they're saying in our language. We didn't know they knew our language because intelligibility is important, very important. Intelligibility. Somebody said to me recently, well, what about the tongues of angels? Certainly we can't understand that. Well, I, I think we could because angels, for instance, came to Mary and spoke to her in her language. Angels came to the shepherds and had this great worship service out in the field and spoke to the shepherds in their language, intelligibility. Now, we will spend more time on tongues and interpretation in chapter 14, but it's important to note that tongues must always be interpreted so that they are intelligible. In other words, understood. And the prophecy must be tested to be believed. Now we're going to go on to verse 11. So all these things that I've listed, Paul is saying, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now this is another defining verse in understanding the subject of spiritual gifts. We don't determine which gifts to receive or how many or how long we have a certain gift. A gift test won't determine our supernatural spiritual gifting. Again, in the 80s, they had all these, you could buy books with gift tests, and you fill them out, and you find out what your gift is. At any time, God the Holy Spirit could decide to manifest himself through any of us in an extraordinary way if we are diligently serving him in the church. Now, God may give us a certain gift just for a specific place and time. But the point is that it is God who decides and I don't put my order in and receive the list of gifts that I would like. Also, it's important to say that we can't use the lack of a certain gift to refuse to do ministry. We can all pray for the sick whether we have the gift of healing or not. And God might answer our prayer. We can all witness to someone and present the gospel whether we're evangelists or not, and God might just save that person. We can all visit someone in the hospital, even if we don't have the gift of mercy, and they will be glad for the visit. But I believe it's important for us to always be exercising the gifts God has given us and therefore be discovering how he wants to, us to fit into the body, the church, and here is why verse 12, 13, and 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. He's talking about our bodies, many parts, and one part, many parts. Uh, so it is of Christ, talking about the church. Verse 13. For we were all baptized. This is really important to understand. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Now, baptized, baptismal, means to be placed into. So it's just saying that we were all placed into the, the, the church, the body of Christ, by the Holy Spirit so as to form one body. The church is a body, just like our bodies are bodies, and we have arms and legs and eyes and ears and all that kind of thing, all individual things, but we're still one body. It's the same with us. 
And so when we're saved, when, we're, when we become Christians, uh, we immediately receive the Holy Spirit who puts us into the church, and we're all now members of the church. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, and it doesn't matter whether we're Jews or Gentiles or ethnicities, non-important, slavery-free, rich or poor, and we were all given the one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit to drink and you can imagine Jesus at the temple where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It comes out like rivers of flowing water. The Holy Spirit to drink. We're able to be uh, satisfied in a way that could never have happened before after we become a Christian. And then in verse 14, even so, it's repeated here, and we'll do a lot of teaching on this next week. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And in the rest of the chapter, which I'm not going to go on to right now, uh, Paul is almost humorous in the way that he imagined if the whole body were an eye or if the whole body were an ear. And if you think about it, it's rather hilarious. And um, there are some people that think their whole body is one thing and you should pay attention to it. But uh, it, life's not about us. It's, about, it's not about me. It's about us. So the best way to discover your spiritual gift is to become involved in the church body and eventually the body will recognize your gift. Take every opportunity to minister in any way possible, whether handing out bulletins at the door, teaching Sunday school, praying for someone, visiting the hospital, participating in men's or women's ministries or in the music ministry, taking meals to shut-ins, attending prayer meetings, encouraging someone who needs a friend, being part of a small group, directing traffic. There are endless opportunities. Look around, see what is missing here, and then do something about it. Some of our best ministries have happened here by someone who has come to the church and has come up to me often and said, there's one thing that's missing in the church, and most of you know what I would say next, that, oh, I'm so glad you spotted it, so you're going to do something about it. I mean, that's otherwise you wouldn't have even noticed. God must have brought you here for that reason, because we're far from a perfect church. You know, there's lots of things that uh, the right gifting uh, could bring to our church. When God, the Holy Spirit manifests a gift through us, we must immediately discover how we can give that gift away in service to one another. That's what makes the Christian life so exciting. The more we give, the larger the gift becomes. Who knows what could happen if you decide to not limit the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. I started preaching by going to a summer trailer park in Canada, knocking on doors of trailers and asking people to come to a church service in the camp. It was frightening. I mean, I've been a police officer. I've been in all kinds of danger. This was way more frightening than raiding a drug house. But when I preach a sermon here, or someplace else in the world, I'm amazed at how God has taken that frightening knock on a trailer door and made it into a ministry around the world. It's incredible. Throw a pebble into a quiet pond and a small circle will form, then a larger one, on and on until it hits the shore on the pond. So throw your gift into the pond of the people of God 
and then expect to live a life beyond anything you could have planned on your own. Now, we started out with a question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And I end with, or almost end with, <laughs> that is what it means to be spiritual. But I just want to add this because I was in my quiet time this morning, I was reading a Chuck Swindoll devotional. It's on Facebook, but at the very end of it really grabbed me this morning. And so I'm just going to read it to you and then we'll pray. So uh, Chuck wrote, God is looking at your town, your city, your neighborhood, and he's looking for his people to whom he can say, you are mine. I want to use you there because you proved yourself faithful there. The only difference is our geography. Our calling is to be faithful in the demanding tasks, whether that is our education, our marriage, our occupation, or just the daily grind of life. That's the kind of men and women God wants to use. And so I would add to it, that's what it means to be spiritual. Stand with me as I pray. Father, I thank you for these few verses that we looked at this morning. And I'm just so challenged and thrilled to have the privilege of being able to teach this passage, Father, because I see the way that you have worked in many people in our church who just took a small step of faith, or at least it seemed that way when they first became Christians and has turned into a huge ministry. And I think of some people that have uh, left here to go around the world to start organizations that are reaching huge numbers of people and even start other churches. Uh, Father, you're so good to save us, but you, I know you take pleasure as you look around the world for someone who is totally committed to you, to really gifting those people, whoever they are, and, and making them uh, a conduit for life-saving ministry right where they are and that can spread everywhere in the world. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being part of the body of Christ, which is one. And I also pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you're missing out on so much. It isn't just that you're going to live forever in heaven, and that's a good thing to know, but you're missing out on day-to-day -day life, an adventure of life uh, that is just tremendous. And so all you have to do is to believe that Jesus was everything he said he was, that he came to this earth, that he died for our sins, he took our sins upon us. You have to believe that you're a sinner, you're not perfect. And then you repent of your sin. That means you agree with God that you are a sinner and that keeps you out of heaven. But you ask Jesus to come into your life and then he will and your life will be changed now. It'll start to change immediately and forever. And so, Father, I pray if no one has prayed a prayer asking Jesus to come into their life, that they would do anyone here, if there is anyone here like that, that they would, in fact, pray this morning, Dear Jesus, thank you for being my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I am a sinner. I turn from that sin. I want to do what you want me to do. Please fill me with your spirit and send me on an adventure for the rest of my life here and all of time. In Jesus' name, amen.